Have you ever seen the church marquee that said, Passionate, Spirit-Filled Worship? What did you think when you read that sign? The Franklin Church of Christ would like to thank you for joining us in today's study. Edwin Crozier will be examining passionate, spirit-filled worship, looking at what people expect and what God explains. We hope you're blessed and edified by this study. I'm not sure if any of the churches here in the Franklin area have ever used this marquee. But I know in other places where I've been and where I've traveled, I've seen it, and perhaps you have as well. Have you ever seen the church marquee sign that says, Passionate, Spirit-Filled Worship? Church is trying to draw pastors by to come in and check out what they're doing. Oftentimes put this sign out, Passionate, Spirit-Filled Worship. If you want to be involved in passionate, Spirit-Filled Worship, then you need to come be with us. And doesn't that sound exciting? Now, isn't that awesome? Wouldn't you like to be involved in passionate, Spirit-filled worship? What images does that present in your mind? Passionate, Spirit-filled worship. I think a lot of us would sit back and say, boy, I sure would like to get some of that. Because for a lot of us, our worship experience is probably a lot like this person that a friend of mine recently emailed me about. I just want to read this to you. For the past several weeks, Mary Jo has been noticing one of those message billboards that many churches use. This one advertises passionate, spirit-filled worship. Mary Jo is intrigued by the thought that worship could be passionate and filled with spirit. After all, her worship experience usually goes something like this. This skirt is too tight for me to breathe. I can't wait to take it off. I sure hope we finish on time today because I've got a casserole in the oven that's going to burn if we go over time. Oh, no. Brother Terry is making announcements. He always mutilates the names on the sick list. Well, at least we got one of the good song leaders today. Number 245. I don't like that song. And we sing that one every Sunday. No tear dimmed eyes. Boy, that sure was a sad movie we watched last night. Man, I cried the whole time. Brother Jordan preaches when he prays. If it's going to be our bonus sermon, I sure wish he'd get on with it. But that screaming kid is just driving me nuts. Oh, look at all the men at the Lord's Supper table. Why don't they just all look good except for Morris? Man, he always looks like he just rolled out of bed. Now, why did they pass the tray that way? No, it sure would have been easier if they had done it this way. Oh, look at that little girl. Isn't she cute? She has such pretty curls. Oh, oh wait, that's a boy. Now, why do we have to stand up to sing? It's always so cold in here. Now, that's the same sermon we heard last month. If you two don't sit still, I, I'm going to take you out. What? Not now. Oh, that's a really neat graphic he used up on the screen. I wonder he got that. Oh, man, I need to make my birthday announcements on the computer, the birthday party invitations today. Oh, and I haven't ordered the cake. I guess I'll have to go to the store after church today. Will you please sit still? Oh, that boy's going to need some new shoes soon. Well, now, that was a good closing prayer. Short and sweet. I think we'd all admit that Mary Jo probably does need a good, healthy dose of passionate, spirit-filled worship. In fact, we probably all could use a good, healthy dose of passionate, spirit-filled worship. But what does that mean? I want to share with you today... What a lot of modern people expect and want 
when they say passionate, spirit-filled worship, and what a lot of churches are willing to offer. But then we want to take a look at what God has explained is passionate, spirit-filled worship. What is it that so many people want and expect from passionate, spirit-filled worship? Let's face it, like Mary Jo, we've got lots of distractions, don't we? Especially when we gather here to worship. Lots of distractions that get in our way. Some of the distractions are external. Crying babies, ringing phones, somebody's clipping their fingernails or balancing their checkbook, or maybe the preacher just has some really weird, odd, nervous quirks and habits. All of those things can distract us from what's going on in the worship. Some of our distractions are internal. Maybe we didn't get breakfast this morning and our stomach is growling. Maybe we didn't get enough sleep last night and we're extremely tired. Maybe we've got bills to pay that we're worried about or our football team is playing today and we wonder how they're going to do because we want them to go to the Super Bowl. All those distractions are internal. But because we have all these distractions, what we want and what we expect from passionate, spirit-filled worship is something that is going to be attention-arresting. We want something that is so amazing and so powerful that we just believe the Spirit, if we're really worshiping, if it's really passionate, spirit-filled worship, the Spirit's just going to come in there, He's going to grab us and He's not going to let us go. The singing is going to be so powerful that we're just struck by every word. The Lord's Supper is so intense that I just, it's like I see Jesus on the cross right there and I see what's going on. Even the prayers are so moving that I'm hanging on every word and the preaching is so powerful that we're just sitting at the edge of our seats and wondering what that good brother is going to say next. That's what we want. We want something that's just going to grab our attention and force us to be involved. And regrettably, there are a lot of churches that are willing to offer that as they move away from reverent honor toward God and move toward glitz and glamour and entertainment because we want something that's going to grab our attention. The second thing, the people want and expect. Well, they're just so convinced that if the Spirit was really involved in our worship and really in control, He's going to grab hold of us and He's going to cause things that we never thought would happen. We've been trained by our television as we walk through our lives that things are supposed to change every 10 to 15 seconds. We don't like the same old, same old. That gets boring and that gets us into a rut. And so, because of boredom, we want a different kind of worship experience. We want something that's going to be spiritually spontaneous. Where the Spirit reaches in and grabs us and just causes us to do whatever the Spirit wants us to do that day. Wouldn't that just be so awesome? We don't want to have to think about it. We certainly don't want to have to plan it. We just want the Spirit to bring us here and soar us to new heights and we'll just fly by the seat of our pants and just do whatever comes naturally that day. And that way, when we're done, we feel like we really worship God. Wouldn't that be awesome? And that's what people expect. And that's what people want. And regrettably, that's what a lot of churches are willing to offer as they move away from proper, orderly worship. Decent, respectful, and reverent. And they go to spur-of-the-moment preaching. 
basic just get-together conversations. And just anybody who has anything that they feel like they ought to say gets to say it. That's what people want. That's what people expect. Further, when you take a look at our society, what one thing governs our society more than anything else? Have you ever heard, if it just feels right? We are a feelings-governed society. It's all about how we feel. And so, because of our feelings, we expect and want from passionate, spirit-filled worship, we want something that is emotionally electrifying. We want something that just grabs hold of our heart and just shakes it. And it just sends goosebumps up and down our spine because we just feel like we've worshipped. We want gut-wrenching, heart-pounding, spine-tingling, earth-shattering experience. Because when we're done, we want to be able to walk out and say, boy, that felt like worship. We don't want to trust in the presence of God. We want to feel His presence. We don't want to worship in faith. We want to worship by feeling. Visited one congregation up in, or down in Beaumont. They were having a big revival. And they had a lot of this. And as I walked out, one of the ladies looked at me and she said, Boy, we sure know how to have some church, don't we? Because you see, this is what we want. This is what we expect. We want it to arrest our attention. We want it to be spiritually spontaneous and we want it to be emotionally electrifying. And what we hear over and over again from people today is, why, why do you want this? Well, because I want worship to be just like it was back here. And I, that's the way it was. I want this Bible worship just the way they did it back then. And I wanted attention arresting spiritually spontaneous and emotionally electrifying. When we're done, I want to know that I have worshipped because it just grabbed hold of me and wouldn't let me go. But here's the rub with that. That is not the way worship was in the New Testament. Let's just think about this for a moment. Was worship in the New Testament attention arresting? Brethren, I have no doubt that there were times that things occurred that so grabbed the attention of the audience that they were just, they were glued to what's going on. I'm sure that happened. I know it happened. For instance, in Acts chapter 20, I have no doubt that after Eutychus fell out of the window that everybody in that worship was just glued to what was going on. I have no doubt you couldn't have taken them away from there. That what is going to happen next? What is Saul going to do? And when he reached out and healed him and brought him back from the dead, I am sure that their attention was arrested. Of course, I'm also sure that Paul's passionate, spirit-filled sermon was so attention-arresting that Eutychus fell asleep. And that's why he fell out of the window and died. You see what I learned from this? Sure, there are times when something's going on that just grabs us. But the fact is, passionate, spirit-filled worship is not necessarily attention arresting. And yes, passionate, spirit-filled worship, sometimes people fall asleep while it's going on. But you better not today. Was it attention arresting? No, it wasn't. 
We're just convinced. Boy, we look back in the New Testament now. Come on, Edwin. You've got to admit it was spiritually spontaneous because back then they used miraculous gifts of the Spirit. And who knew when the Spirit might just grab hold of somebody and make them just start jumping and shouting and hollering for the Lord? And we just know that that happened back there. Really? Listen, not only was their worship not spiritually spontaneous, it was commanded not to be that way. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 40. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 40, Paul said, as he's talking about, and in this context specifically about the assembly as the church gathers together, he says in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 40, but all things must be done properly and in an orderly fashion. Do you see that's got to be an orderly fashion? What's that mean? There's got to be an order. Now, I understand that there's a spectrum there. That's not to say that there's not anything that happens that wasn't just absolutely planned for. But I tell you what we see there, we don't see spiritually spontaneous. And amazingly enough, as we go back into chapter 14, as it talks about how the Spirit would interact in the congregational assembly. Yes, it's true that at times somebody within the assembly might be given a miraculous gift at the time that would be expressed during that worship. But I want you to notice, it wasn't some type of spiritually spontaneous fly by the seat of your pants kind of thing. It wasn't something where the Spirit just came in and made them do things and they just couldn't control themselves. Look at 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 27. It says... 1 Corinthians 14, 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at the most three. In other words, if a fourth person gets, gets a tongue, he needs to be quiet. And each in turn, and one must interpret. Verse 28. But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Do you see what that says? That says that there were times when in the assembly somebody received a miraculous gift of tongues, but there wasn't an interpreter. They had to have the wherewithal to see. Is there an interpreter here? Does anybody here have the miraculous gift of interpretation? If not, I keep quiet. The Spirit doesn't come in and grab hold of me and make me just start speaking in tongues. It didn't happen here. It certainly doesn't happen today. And yet, that's what we find in churches that say they have spiritually spontaneous, passionate, spirit-filled worship. Look at this, verse 29, same chapter. Let two or three prophets speak, and let others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. Here's a brother that's received a miraculous gift of prophecy. He's revealing this word from God, and somebody else gets one, and he gets saying, um, It's my turn now, brother. Would you sit down? And what's he got to do? He's still got more to say, but what's God say? Be quiet and sit down. He controls it. The Spirit's not in him, just making him talk. Verse 31, For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. Now notice this, verse 32, And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Notice what he says. God understands when you start having people just jump around and shout and holler and speaking in tongues or prophesying or everybody's just wording out their prayers all together at the same time, what have you got? You've got confusion. And God says, I'm a God of peace, not of confusion. I don't want that kind of thing in my worship. If you're going to worship me, you do it orderly. You follow rules and order. Was it spiritually spontaneous? Absolutely not. Notice what it says. Even in the time when the, the Spirit was bestowing miraculous gifts and people were receiving tongues and prophecies, do you see what would happen? It says that that was subject to the person whom it was given. They weren't forced to just start talking. They had to make sure that it fit within what was proper and orderly. They didn't just jump out of their seat and start shouting or speaking. 
It was orderly. Emotionally electrifying? Did they have emotionally electrifying worship? Brethren, I have no doubt that emotions were involved in their worship, just like they're involved in ours. Let's face it, when we think about the death that the Lord died for our sins, that's emotional. When we think about our guilt, we ought to have some emotions there. When we think about what God did to forgive our guilt, there ought to be emotions. When we hear about false teaching and sin and error and rebellion against God, that ought to evoke emotions. When we watch somebody confess Christ and be baptized for the remission of their sins, that ought to evoke emotions. But is that what our worship is about? Is that what their worship was about? Was it about emotion? Was it about feelings? Did they go out of a worship assembly and say, I know I worship because I feel like I've worshipped? I tell you, one of the great things we've got today is these little computer Bible programs. You can go in there and you can type in words and you can find out if they're ever used. And so I got online and I typed in feel and feeling and felt. And you know what? Not one single time in all of the Bible does the Bible ever say anything about anyone ever feeling the presence of God. It's not there. Not one single time, not once from Genesis to Revelation, does the Bible anywhere ever say anything about anybody feeling like they worshipped. It's not there. I found only two passages in the Bible that remotely connected feeling with worship, and that was in the New King James Version. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, I believe, in about verse 19, it talked about those who might feel driven to bow down to the stars, and it rebuked them. See, there's feelings-driven worship. And in 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 13, in the New King James Version, Saul said he felt compelled to offer the sacrifice that Samuel said was unlawful. There's feelings-driven worship. And you only get the word feeling in there if you're looking at the New King James Version. So much for emotionally electrifying, feelings-based worship. That's not what they had. They didn't have this. But did they have passionate, spirit-filled worship? You better believe they did. They most certainly did. These were people who were commanded to be filled with the Spirit and to worship God based on that. And they did. But if this is not the picture that we find in the New Testament, what do we find? What should we be doing? What does God explain? Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. This passage, I understand, is speaking in general about Christian living and a life filled with worship. It certainly applies to all aspects of our worship and even to our congregational worship. And there's some, some lessons we can learn from this passage. Notice what it says. In verse 15, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. You got it? That's why we're reading this passage. Filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What's that? That's Spirit-filled worship right there. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. What do we learn 
from this passage. I think we learned four things about what it really means to have passionate, Spirit-filled worship. The very first thing we learn is that if we're going to have passionate, Spirit-filled worship, we're going to have to be personally circumspect. The New American Standard, which I'm using this morning, says in verse 15, be careful how you walk. If you have the King James Version, it says, walk circumspectly. Anybody got the King James Version? Is that what it says, David? Walk circumspectly. That word, such a great word. The first part of it, circum, is like our word circumference. When we talk about a circle and you measure all the way around it, around. The second part, spect. It's like our word for spectacles. What's he saying? He says you look around. Don't just look straight ahead. Look around. Be circumspect. If we wanted to put it in just everyday English, what we'd say is you better pay attention. You see that? Pay attention. If we're going to have passionate, Spirit-filled worship, We want, because we face distractions, we want something to grab us and shake us and force our attention on what's going on. But what does God say? God says, no, I'm not going to do that. You pay attention. You walk circumspectly. There's distractions. We're not ever going to remove all those distractions. We don't want to remove all those distractions. Because some of those distractions are my kids and I don't want them to leave. And so what have we got to do? We've got to pay attention. God's not going to force us to. There's nothing that's going to happen in worship when it's real worship that just grabs us and won't let us go and we're forced to pay attention. I'm not that good. Jimmy's not that good of a song leader. It just doesn't happen. I mean, every once in a while we pull that off, but not every time. What's our job? Pay attention. Walk circumspectly. There's distractions. Don't let those get in the way. Be circumspect. Pay attention to what's going on. And then you can have passionate, Spirit-filled worship. The next thing. This passage demonstrates that if we're going to have passionate, Spirit-filled worship, it's got to be Word-governed. The reason why we're using this passage is because it says, be filled with the Spirit. I mean, this is the command. We want to be Spirit-filled. How do we do that? What's it mean? One of the amazing things about this passage is that folks have looked at this verse, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, and they have completely misunderstood this. There are folks who have looked at this verse and really thought that what God was doing was comparing being Spirit-filled with being drunk. And so they said, oh, well, what happens when we get drunk? Wow, we get out of control. I mean, we're just wild. It's crazy. And that's what it means. Spirit-filled worship means we're out of control. In the Spirit. And so they've come up with that terribly awful phrase, unbiblical, ungodly phrase. Have you ever heard it? Drunk in the Spirit? Oh, there's nothing in the Bible that says anything about being drunk in the Spirit, ever. This passage is not comparing drunkenness with Spirit-filled worship. It is contrasting it. What's it say? It says, don't get drunk with wine because that's dissipation. He says, don't do that because that puts you out of control. That leads to riot. That leads to excess. If he then turn around and saying, rather be filled with the Spirit and be out of control there. No. He's saying you get drunk with wine, that'll make you out of control. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Why? Because that's self-control. He says, the more you drink that junk into your body, the less the Spirit can control your body. 
the less you're going to be governed by Him. He says, so don't drink that stuff. But rather be filled with the Spirit. Why? Because that's going to lead to worship. Controlled, reverent, honoring, thankful worship. Just be filled with the Spirit. But what does that mean? One of the other problems here is folks just come to this passage, oh, filled with the Spirit. We've got to be filled with the Spirit. Everybody, is everybody filled with the Spirit? What's that mean? How do we get filled with the Spirit? Well, first of all, let's look at the passage. Have you noticed the parallel between verse 17 and verse 18? They both tell us things not to do and then tell us what to do. Verse 17 says, So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Verse 18 says, Don't, drink, don't get drunk with wine, for that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Do you see the parallel there? It says, don't be foolish. Getting drunk with wine is foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Be filled with the Spirit. What's it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It means to understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, if you don't believe me, let me turn to you a parallel passage. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Parallel passage here says the exact same thing, but with different words. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Do you see that? Isn't that just what we read in Ephesians chapter 5? But in Ephesians 5, it says to be filled with the Spirit. In Colossians 3, it says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you. What do we learn? As we soak in the Word of Christ, we are being filled with the Spirit. What does it mean to have Spirit-filled worship? It means to soak in the Word of God and allow that to govern what I'm doing. And to worship God that way. That's what it means. And that's why Paul concludes there in Colossians 3 verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. What are we doing? It's got to be authorized by Christ. It's got to be word governed. I've got to do what He says. And it doesn't matter how I feel when I'm done, when I do what He says, what have I done? I worshiped. Personally circumspect. Word governed. God focused. Those three things we had up on the board earlier, do you realize what those all were? Those were all me-centered. I want something to happen to me. I want God to grab me. I want God to force me. I want God to make me feel a certain way. It's all about me. Me, 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 me. And how do I know if I've really worshipped? It's all subjective. It's all about me. It's all about what I felt, what I got, what I received. But that's not what worship is about. You go back over there to Ephesians chapter 5. What's he saying? He says, Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart. Where? To the Lord. What's this about? It's about us lifting up praise to God and worshiping Him. That's what this is. It's not about us getting anything from Him. We've already got from Him. We talked about that with the Lord's Supper. We've already got it. He gave it. What are we doing now? We're giving back. We're not coming in expecting Him to do anything to us or for us. He's done that already. We're now coming singing with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Notice what it says, verse 20. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. What is this about? This is about us coming here and giving to God, not Him giving to us. This is not about us coming together for Him to pour out anything on us. This is about us coming together for us to pour ourselves out to Him. 
We don't walk away saying, oh, that was worship because look at what I got. We say, oh, that was worship because look at what I gave. Look at how I honored God. How did you feel? I don't care. I honored God. I can feel good about that. No matter what the prevailing emotion is at the time. But that's what this is about. This is about honoring God, not getting for me. So much worship in so many churches today is about getting for me. I want entertainment. I want feelings. I want fun. What we ought to want is to praise and honor and glorify God because His Son died for us. I'll tell you what, we don't deserve fun and feelings. We deserve hell. Torment and agony for eternity, but God sent His Son so that we don't have to have that. And we're gathered here now to pour ourselves out in honor of Him, not demand more from Him. And the fourth thing, continues to repudiate this me-centered idea of worship. You'll notice something here. There is, there is a, a down-here aspect of the worship, but it's still not about me, is it? Notice what it says there in Ephesians chapter 5. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then verse 21, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. The only down here aspect of our worship is about one another. Regrettably, all too often, I come in here and it's about me. What are you going to do for me? You're going to sing the songs I like. You're going to pray the prayers the way I want them prayed. You're going to dress the way I want you to dress. It's not what it's about. Brethren, we don't gather here to worry about whether or not anybody shakes our hand or talks to us. We don't gather here to see if everybody dresses the way that pleases us or combs their hair the way that pleases us or prays the way that pleases us or sings in such a way that just, boy, just lifts me up. Boy, that just edified me. We gather here to please everybody else. To be subject to one another and to edify one another. It's not about what we get from everybody else. It's about, again, what we give to everybody else. It's not about how everybody else makes us feel or how they treat us. It's about how are we living and what do we do for them. Oh, it just amazes me the number of people that don't come to worship because of the way they were treated. It's sad when brethren don't treat you properly. I understand that. But that's not why you were coming here. It shouldn't have been. I don't know how many folks come into my office. It hadn't happened here yet. How many folks come into my office and, and just talk about how bad things are because nobody's talked to them. They've been, they've been coming for six weeks and nobody ever talks to me. If you ever come into my office and, and ask me that, you know what I'm going to say? What, you walked up to them and started talking they just walked away? Well, no, no. Well, have you talked to them? Well, no. Well, go talk to them. They're probably somewhere complaining because you've never talked to them. It's not about what I get from everybody else. It's about what I give. It's not about how beautiful their singing is to my ears. It's about how, how I can sing from my heart 
to God edifying everyone else. That's what it's about. This, brethren, is passionate, spirit-filled worship. And it doesn't matter how we feel about it. It doesn't matter if we had it planned out to a T. And it doesn't even matter if there were some folks who, because they didn't walk circumspectly, fell asleep. What matters is, are we paying attention? Are we doing what God says in His Word? Are we focused on God and giving to Him? And are we oriented on others and giving to them? That, brethren, is passionate, Spirit-filled worship. And you know what? This is the great paradox of this. Is that when you worship this way, when you leave, you know what will happen? Most of the time, you'll be able to say, I felt like I worshipped. You really will. But really, no matter how you feel about it, when you've done this, you've worshipped. And this is what God wants. How have you been worshipping? Have you been worshipping today? Has it been passionate, spirit-filled worship? I hope so. Thank you, Edwin, for that intriguing look at passionate, spirit-filled worship. And thank you for joining us as we studied God's Word. Let's remember what we learned today. Many people want passionate, spirit-filled worship, but they are expecting worship that is attention-arresting, spiritually spontaneous, and emotionally electrifying. However, that is not the way the Bible presents passionate, spirit-filled worship. Instead, God explains in Ephesians 5, 15-21, that passionate, spirit-filled worship is, one, personally circumspect, two, word-governed, three, God-focused, and four, others-oriented. We trust you have been edified by this lesson. If you have any questions about passionate, spirit-filled worship, about the Franklin Church of Christ, or about how you can become one of God's children, please call us at 615-794-2359 or contact us through our website at www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. Thank you, and may God richly bless you.